Some of you probably think about the Bible and it doesn't fill you with a lot of excitement. My opinion of this is it's just a, a rule book, tells you the do's, tells you the don'ts, or it's just a, a history book and you get bogged down in all the begats, right? You know, who was father of who and who, get, who begat who, and, and you get bogged down in all that. Or maybe you just think this book is boring, that it really doesn't have anything to, to interest you, to entice you. It certainly is not as, as exciting as the next John Grissom no, novel. Maybe it's not as big series on Netflix or the next bestseller that's coming out. Uh, on the on the bookshelves or on your Kindle, whatever it might be. But I want to tell you, as, as I look at God's Word, the more I get into it, the more I understand it, the more I read it, the more time I spend in it, the more intriguing it becomes. We not only find wisdom for life, we not only find truth that feeds our souls, we find some of the weirdest stories I'm serious. You look at that and you go, I didn't realize that was in there. And today, as we continue this series called Downfall, as we look at this, there's a weird story. And so I, I, hope, that, I hope that you find it weird in a fascinating kind of way. In other words, that there's something here for you, and I believe there will be something here for you. But it's just strange. And if you've read through the Bible a few times, you may, have, you may stop and go, I didn't, I didn't really realize that was in there. And so let's take a look at that this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 11 together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough to speak to us through this word. And Lord, sometimes, sometimes it does get a little challenging as we go through a uh, uh, a list of measurements for the temple and all the things that are being made for the temple. Or maybe, maybe we're going through a whole list of genealogy and, and we read through that and we wonder why in the world is this stuff in here? And we pray that in this kind of weird story that you will speak to us. And the story is not only odd, Lord, it's a story that and yet, Lord, we pray that you would make it relevant to us where we live today. So teach us what you're saying here. But then from this, Lord, teach us how to live, how to follow your son, Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're in 1 Samuel and and we are just kind of taking the chapters as they come, although next week we will skip chapter 12 because it has absolutely nothing to do with Saul. And then we'll jump to 13. But you, you feel free to read it this week if you'd like. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break it apart verse by verse, and we'll go through, and we'll stop, and we'll make some comments and make sure that we all understand we're all on the same page. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up the First Samuel chapter 11. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen for you, and uh, so hopefully that will help. Uh, just so you'll know, I'm preaching out of the, uh, the English Standard Version, the ESV, uh, but whatever you've got should be very, very similar to this. So here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash, again, don't you just love these Bible names? Someone's writing that down thinking, yes, when I have a grandchild, I'm going to recommend that their name is Nahash. 
Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Now let's hang on there for just a minute. Let's start with a map. And I haven't done this with you yet, but we're going to put a map up here on the screen. The names that are on this map. So I've I put some colors and, and circles and things that will help you. So Jabesh Gilead, if you down the blue, you see that running right down the center of the map. Jabesh Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River. Remember, most of the tribes of Israel settled on the west side towards the Mediterranean Sea. But there were three tribes. There was uh, uh, half a tribe of Manasseh. There was, um, there was Gad. And there was, oh man, I'm drawing a blank, Reuben. Reuben's over here. So Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh. Jabesh Gilead's up towards, towards the north, towards the Sea of Galilee, which you see at the top. And the Dead Sea's down here at the bottom. You catch kind of the top portion of that. Now, I'm going to go ahead and show you on this map, over here, this big circle. This is important because this is Ammon. Ammon, Nahash was an Ammonite, okay? As a matter of fact, he was king of Ammon. So that's where they're located. This is Jabesh Gilead. And according to some of the texts that have been found in the Qumran that are not in, in the Bible that relate to this time period, evidently this Nahash was, was quite a guy. I mean, he was knocking off cities, and he was capturing cities, and he was killing folks. And, and I mean, he was really kind of a, a terror going through that region. And so now we find he is at Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh is the name of the city. Gilead tells us where it was located. So it was Jabesh in the region of Gilead in the tribe of Gad. And so that's where they are located. Some of the other things up here. But I just wanted to make sure that you had kind of that picture in your mind. The story starts off in dramatic, surrounded by Nahash and his army. And the folks are in kind of a bad way because they're looking out and they're realizing, you know what, we cannot defeat these guys for going in and really knocking off people, killing a lot of people, taking cities, doing really bad stuff. And, and now here they are at our back door. We never expected this to happen, but, but here they are. And we do not have enough men who are fit to go out and to fight them. So we're, we're in kind of a bad situation. So they did the only thing that they could think of doing. And that is when they were surrounded and outnumbered, we need, we need to negotiate we need to figure out a way. To, so we are going, we're going we're gonna to figure out a way. We're going to offer a way to just surrender to them. Actually, what they've decided to do, the men have, have, have seen the troops and the men have gotten together and said, you know what, we can't fight them. We can't beat them. And so the only thing that we can do is to surrender. And so we'll, we'll put that out there and we'll see what happens. It's at least better than the alternative of being killed. So in verse 2, and this is where the story kind of gets interesting. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. Well, that was not what those guys had in mind. That, that, and they were thinking, okay, we're going to surrender to them. They'll probably... 
uh, they'll probably heavily tax us. They'll probably put some troops in our city. It won't be a good way to live, but at least we'll be alive and our wives and our daughters will be protected and, and everything. I mean, we can, we can figure out how to make this work. But here, Nahash has this weird idea. Yeah, we'll accept your surrender. But in order to do that, all the men in your city, and that's primarily, where does the line start, right? No, nobody. This, I mean, I'm thinking, what is up with this Nahash guy? I mean, he could have just accepted their surrender. But no, he has in mind, as it says right here, to bring disgrace on all Israel. He already has a reputation. He's already a bad guy. And now what he wants to do is to say, you know what? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to capture this city. I'm going to put out the right eyes of all the the men in this city. And that'll bring disgrace. That'll show just how weak these Israelites are. That'll show just how incompetent they are. They've got nothing going for them. Uh, Revolt against me. Think about this. This is not in the text, but in some of the commentary that, that I've read uh, throughout the years, and I think the first time this was mentioned was back like in 400 A.D. or something. Uh, but someone said the typical means of fighting in that time, because most of the people were right-handed, was the shield would go on which arm? If you're right-handed, the shield would go on the left arm. Your sword would go. If you're trying to protect yourself with a shield. Your right eye is gone. You're kind of blind. So you, you, you really, to have a revolt would be impossible during the lifetime of those who'd have their right eyes put out. And so Nahash kind of had uh, two things going on here. One was really practical. They won't revolt. And the other was to humiliate or to embarrass Israel itself. And so don't worry, this story gets a little weirder from here on out. Verse 3, well, hang on. Would Nebesh, or Nahash, why would he put on the brakes and give them time to send out messengers to see if anybody will come and help them? Well, there are probably a few reasons that this could take place. N- number one is, remember, he has surrounded the city. If they go to war, he's going to lose some men. This is a siege Most of the cities have walls around them, and so it's hard to get in. If the gates are closed, it's hard to get over the walls, and you have to figure out a way to knock down the gates. Any of you seen the old, you know, movies where they're having to beat on a gate, or maybe maybe even a western where they've got a fort? It's the same concept. You can't get in. And so he was going to lose troops. He was going to lose men if they attacked the city. He didn't expect to lose the, the battle, but he expected to lose people. And so this is one practical way not to lose anybody. But think about this. He also didn't expect anybody to come and help him. History, they are tribes that are scattered, and they have only recently had a king anointed over them. And what we'll discover is this king is not in Jerusalem or in some other capital city. He has not gathered a large army around himself. He's still back at daddy's farm. He's still farming. So there is no big army that can muster and come against them. And so he felt, okay, I can let him go. But there's another reason. Remember, his intent is to embarrass or to humiliate or disgrace Israel. 
And what he's doing is he's picking off city after city after city in Israel's territory. No one's done anything about it. And what he's assuming is Jabesh is just going to be just like the rest of the cities. They're going to hear about it. And so let's go on to verse 4 and see. So verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah, it's further south and it's on the west side of the Jordan River. Okay, so when they came, it says, and they reported the matter to the ears of the people, all the people wept aloud. Nahash was right. They weren't going to do anything. Egypt say, woe is us. Nahash is over there with his army, and they're taking more of our people, and they're humiliating, going to kill them or put their eyes out, and we can't do a thing about it. All we can do is weep and wail. You know any people like that? I mean, when trouble comes, all they do is weep and wail. There's no action. There's, 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 there's no uh, addressing the issue. There's no uh, you know, approaching the problem in a, in a proactive way. Now all they can do is moan and groan and weep in Gibeah. And as we move down in verse 5, it says, Now behold, Saul, okay, here's Saul. Remember, Saul has been anointed by Samuel uh, to be the ruler over Israel. And then they, if you remember last week, there was a gathering, and Saul was selected by God through the the Urim and the Thummim, which was basically a way to, to make choices, A or B, this or that, yes or no. And so it was, came down and Saul was selected in that. So here is Saul. And behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. So it sounds like he'd been out plowing with the oxen, told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Okay, remember last week. Last week, we had the same terminology here where the Spirit of God rushes upon Saul. This is when Saul met the prophets on the hill of God with a Philistine garrison there. He met the prophets, and the Spirit of God rushed on him, and he prophesied as well. So here we see God God filling him, God rushing upon him, for a task that he has in store for him. And in this case, he becomes furious. Now, there are really a couple of kinds of anger that we have. One is a kind of a personal anger where we get angry because something has done, somebody's done something to us. Come on, you, you did it maybe back when you were kids, but you certainly remember from your children and your grandchildren, the little he touched me. Okay, and, and literally some of these things could turn into actual fights, not just whining. They jump all over each other in the back seat. We really don't grow out of that very well. Because most of the time we get angry, it's because of something that's being done to us or something that's said about us, and we feel slighted, we feel mistreated, we feel disrespected. And so we get mad about it. Shoot, I get mad driving to Atlanta. I should call ahead and reserve a lane or something. I don't know. They're in Atlanta. 
And when I'm there, there's one more too many. Okay, that's a lot of folks. And, and listen, half of them don't know how to drive. Anybody get angry driving in Atlanta? Okay, thank you. It is, I mean, it's, it really, it's, sometimes they're just a, the stupidest things. But anyway, this anger is a little different because this is a righteous anger. This is an anger over not anything that's being done, being mistreated and abused. And that anger is going to lead him. It's going to motivate him as the Spirit of God leads to us should rightly anger us. When we hear about the sex trafficking that's going on, when we hear that little children are being, being stolen and then being, being sex trafficked, being, when we hear about that, when we hear about the, the number of abortions that take place each year, when we hear about wives being abused or children being abused, when we, when we look at what's we see some of this stuff that's taking place, when we see in these third world countries where dictators are living high off the hog while their people are suffering, that should make us angry because those are the things that anger the heart of God. But here, we don't want to be like the people in Gilead and just moan and groan and whine and complain. We need to be like Saul, who we will see in just a moment, uses that anger, that righteous anger, as the Spirit of God drives him in order to take action to correct a problem. And for some of you, you've done that because you found ways that you can get involved. You become angry at the issue of abortion in our community, and you've taken action. You've become angry with the, with the issue of illiteracy in our community, and you've taken action. You've plugged yourself in, and you've found a way that you can plug in. Or when we go and we see some in utter poverty and have to, have to deal with rats and, and wet mattresses they sleep on, and you see that, there's, there's something in you that just says, I want to do more than just feel bad about this i want to act and so let's see verse 9 and they said to the messenger well excuse me okay so verse 7 he took a yoke of oxen and he cut them in pieces and he sent them throughout the territory of israel by the the hand of messengers saying whoever does not come out after saul and samuel so shall it be done to his oxen and the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. Now, hang on. Think about this. This is kind of weird. Okay, so he's coming out. He's gotten the oxen. These oxen have been working all day. They've been out there pulling these plows, this thing. He decides to take action because all the people are doing nothing. And God had said, you're going to be the ruler, and you're going to save my people. And everybody's doing nothing. The Spirit of God comes on Saul. He says, I'm not going to do nothing anymore. I'm going to do something. And so he does something that is dramatic and that could be seen as a Godfather-style threat. He takes these oxen. Yeah, I was going to say he takes the bull by the horns. But he took the oxen and he cut them up into pieces and then he gave them the messengers. Can you imagine the post office coming to your house and go, here, take this hindquarter of an ox. 
Okay, he gives them these messengers, and he sends these messengers all throughout Israel with these pieces of oxen. And he said, listen, if you don't come, when our brothers and sisters are in need, if you're sure that this happens at your house too. So what happened? Well, it says here in verse 9, and when he mustered them at Bezek, thousand, and the men of Judah, about 30,000. So let's put that map back up if we can. Okay. All right, where's Bezek? Bezek, you see the yellow box, the yellow rectangle up right across, right across the Jordan River from Jabesh. Okay. Saul was down here at Gibeah, which is this blue circle. See the blue circle down here? Saul was down there, and all that area you see going up and going south of, of that area and some of the area on this side, all that, everybody is gathering at a very strategic place. Saul didn't say, hey, listen, you guys come to me in Gibeah. Saul understood if we're going to make a difference, we've got we to gotta move. And sometimes if you're going to make a difference, you have to move. So they went up to Bezek, and 330,000 men showed up, some with swords, some with spears, some with pitchforks, some with shovels. Remember, these aren't all full-time soldiers. They showed up with what they had, but they showed up in force at the call of Saul. This was a show of unity that Israel had probably not had since the time of Joshua. He had the first king that they are going to have, the first national leader that they're going to have. And Saul has stepped up to the plate and said, we're called to save our people. They're over there, they're hurting, come together. And they came together, 330,000 of them. And in verse 9 it says, now they said to the messengers, who had come to us, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, a short march now of getting to them. And when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. I'll men of Jabesh said, now the now now you see, when you feel like you got the upper hand, sometimes you kind of uh you kind of taunt the enemy a little bit. And so they say to uh to Nahash and his folks, he, they said, Tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do what, to us whatever seems good. Okay, so here we are. So word gets back, deliverance is on the way. So now they're feeling a lot better about life, a lot better about where they are in life. And then in verse 11 it says, And the next day Saul put the people into three companies. Now we're, we're learning a little bit about Saul. Saul's got a pretty good military mind. Remember, he didn't ask the people to come down to where he was. He went up to a strategic location for gathering for Israel, men. And it probably makes sense because that's a lot in one place. And he split them up into three company, companies so that they can literally surround the army that Nahash has there. And so he's got this military strategy going on the way. And it says, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. In other words, they got there in the morning, and they kept whipping on them until sometime in the afternoon when it got hot, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so this was a, an extended battle, but it was relatively short uh, when you consider you know, how some battles end up being. 
And those who survived of the Ammonites were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So this is a tail whooping. Okay, he has gone in a few numbers that not even two of them were together. It was just singles going out trying to get away to keep themselves from being slaughtered. They were no longer a threat to Jabesh. They were no longer a threat, in fact, to anyone. Because we had a route now. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. Now some of you are going, Well, what's this about? Go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 10. Because when when, um, Saul was put in the place of the king, when he was made king by the people, there were a few people who didn't acknowledge that. They criticized him, and they refused to bring him a gift and acknowledge that he was their king. And so now Saul has the upper hand. He's got an army. He's got over 300,000 men with him. But in that group are those who criticized Saul. And so saw the iron's hot. You had some critics over here. You can get rid of your critics. You can wipe them out. They will no longer be a problem for you. They will not be a burr in your saddle. Get rid of them now and really show them what you're made of. So what happens here? But Saul says, verse 13, But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Here Saul proves himself to be a capable leader. He could have killed the critics. He could have showed his power. But instead he showed mercy. Self that people needed to see in a leader. And that, quite frankly, we need to see in our leaders. He showed mercy to those who criticized him and questioned him. He showed humility. He showed good leadership. But most importantly, you don't want to miss this, to whom did he give the credit? Look at the verse. Who did he give, to whom did he give credit? He gave credit to the Lord. He didn't say, hey, listen, I just want to thank you guys. You all came out. Good job, fellas. Uh, three, over 300,000 guys showed up today. It was a good day out there on the field. We took it to them. We beat them. We stomped them. We kicked them. And now we are the big-time army in the region. You guys ought to be proud of yourselves. Didn't do that. He didn't take the credit himself. He didn't say, listen, I told you guys I could do this. I told you I could mention any names. But I told you I could do this, and I just showed you I could do this. No. In fact, he says, listen, the Lord gave us the victory today. The Lord brought salvation today, and I'm giving him the credit. If there were a highlight reel of Saul's life, chapter 11 would be most of it. Any of you watch a college football game yesterday. Anybody want to admit that? Yesterday was the first day of college football season. Uh, I understand it was a game just up the road in Athens. There was also uh, a game uh, in Berkeley, California, where my team played. North Carolina played Cal, and it did not go well for the Tar Heels. Last quarter, 
Um, someone said of the of Cal's team that during the fourth quarter they turtled up. I'd never heard that phrase. You know, they kind of pulled in a little bit, and so we, we got to get most of our yardage and most of our success in the fourth quarter. But in that game, there was really only one play. I should have I brought it because it was cool. There was one play where we really showed up. It was mano e mano. A guy called a punt, and he got hit so hard, he literally flipped in the air. That was the highlight for the game, okay? The rest of it you could just forget. It wasn't worth watching. Unfortunately, here's what i got to tell you. The title of this series is Downfall. Why? Because you're seeing the best of Saul right now. You're seeing his big hit. You're seeing the opponent flip in the air. But things are going to start to go south from here. Some of you started well in your life, didn't you? You had a great plan. You had a a great commitment of faith. You started off so well following Jesus, and somehow it hadn't ended up there. You got distracted. You got derailed. You got tired. Don't let downfall be the title for the series on your life. Some of you here today, you feel like an utter failure. You know you had great success, but now you're feeling like the bottom's just dropped out. That God's mercy is new. Start afresh today. And you've got a God who's willing to allow you to start fresh today. Well, listen, I need to finish this. this. There's still some good stuff here that we need to wrap up. Verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come let us go to Gilgal, which is down south. We won't pull up the map again, and renew the kingdom. In other words, we're going we're gonna to bring everybody together now. We only had a few people together. We're bringing them all together. And so all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul... And all the men of Israel greatly rejoice. So we've come to the end of this chapter. I told you it's kind of a weird story, but there's some good stuff here. But I just want to give you some takeaways before we leave today. First of all, we noted that the people of Jabesh Gilead, they at least had the wisdom to know two things when they were surrounded. The first thing was that they were powerless to save themselves. There was nothing they could do. And the second thing is if they were going to be saved, they needed somebody We need that same wisdom. We need the spiritual insight to know that we are powerless to save ourselves. And if we're going to get saved, we're going to need someone to save us. Some of you found that Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. But for those of you who have not found him, he's waiting for you today. He is ready to receive you right where you are in your weakness, in your sin, and make you a new man, a new woman, a new teenager today. And if God's calling you to receive him, I want to just encourage you to embrace him today. Also, we see a few other things here. When Saul heard the plight of the people in Jabesh, the Spirit of God came on him, and in his anger he took appropriate action. And we need both the spiritual, spirit-given wisdom to know how to channel the anger that we have at, at the injustice, willing, have the willingness to act to right wrongs. 
Don't be a whiner. Don't just be somebody who whines. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to take action. We also note that Saul, when he had the victory, he gave credit to the Lord. And, and we need the humility to recognize that God is meeting our needs and he is securing our victories. Don't take it. Don't, don't, don't just say, hey, look what I did. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And then finally, Saul refused to take revenge on those who criticized him. And we need to be so overwhelmed by the mercy of God toward us that we freely and joyously, how we treat other people, even those who don't deserve anything good, shows a lot about what we believe about the mercy of God. And so this morning, how do you, how do you need to respond What should be your response if you need to come today and admit that you're powerless to save yourself and you need a Savior, I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to to work in you to, to act to make a difference. To not be passive, but to be active towards what He's calling you to do. Maybe you're here today and you, you need to acknowledge the God who meets your daily needs and gives you the victories. You need, to, you need to look up and say thank you for looking after me. Having received mercy, there's someone in whom you need to show mercy. Who is that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us, speak to us even today. I pray for those who need Jesus that today they would come. Pray for those. I pray for those who have been whining and moaning and groaning about life. Father, I pray, it may seem extreme to others, but is absolutely appropriate. Lord, I pray that you would help us and we'd be willing to look up and thank you for the victory that we have even today. Struggle being merciful to others with a knowledge of your mercy reflected to others. Lord, whatever it is that you're leading us to do today, in Jesus' name.